There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Catherine Connolly. She's the co-founder and senior vice president of marketing for The Meat Group. Catherine's focused on growing apps like Meet Me and Tagged into two of the top 10 dating apps in the U.S. Her 16 years of experience includes co-founding My Yearbook at age 15, creating what would eventually become The Meat Group, and leading brand strategy and performance marketing for The Meat Group through a series of mergers and acquisitions and rebrands. The Meat Group most recently sold for $500 million in September of 2020 and is now part of Parship Meat. On the show today, we talk about the journey that she's been on since 15 and uh, the twists and turns, as well as how she focuses on marketing today, what her tips are as it relates to performance marketing, and much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Catherine Connolly. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm excited about this conversation. It's not every day I get to talk to somebody that started their company at age 15. <laughs> so one, is that right? Is that really true? Yes. And the older I get, the more insane it seems <laughs> that my mom let me do that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. How did it come about? Tell us the founding story, if you will. 
Yeah. So it all started, my, my brother and I were relatively new in our high school. Um, we went to high school in Montgomery High School in Skillman, New Jersey. It's one of those schools where you know a lot of people have been there um, since kindergarten. And so we, we were coming from a super small small school, new, new area, and just we're looking to meet new people. And we started you know, thinking, you know, I wish there was a better way to, to do that. And being, I guess, clearly nerdy, uh, we're like, well, why don't we build a website for that? So that's how, um, you know, so, so that's how we, we, you know, got started. My brother, um, so I was 15, my brother Dave was 16. And our oldest brother, Jeff, had recently just moved back in the area. He, he was, uh, he would have been, I guess, 26, 27. And he had started his own company when he was in, um, when he was undergrad at, at Harvard. And so Dave and I growing up, because there was a fairly, fairly large age difference, you know, had, had been introduced to entrepreneurship and we're like, oh, that's, you know, a valid thing you can do. So I, I think that Dave and I were kind of always just looking for, for an idea. And so when we had one, we we're like, Let, let's build it. And so, yeah, that's, that's how we got started. Jeff joined as well. And when we started, you basically, we hired a team of developers and, and, and got to it, which at 15, there isn't a lot of risk to starting a company. So really it, it almost is that simple. It was like, oh, let's, let's do this. And then you, and then you go for it because I, honestly, you know, at the time I was like, okay, well, I could get a job bagging groceries at ShopRite, or I could do this. So the idea was, okay, well, let's, let's create something and, 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 and see where it goes. Yeah. Get this straight. You and your 16 year old brother come up with the idea. Your 26, 27 year old brother, Jeff is coming back from school who he had already started another company. It sounded like. Yeah. He had already actually just, he had recently exited that company. He was looking for, for his next thing as well. And he, um, you know, was also able to, you know, Initial funding. <laughs> yeah. Well, so are are your parents entrepreneurial? Like, <laughs> you're all entrepreneurs at this point. So, um, both my parents are for our engineers, and so my, my mom actually growing up, she, she so she's an electrical engineer. Uh, well, she's retired now, but uh, she used to just say, "Oh, <laughs> don't don't do what I do. Do 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 your own thing." You know. Um, and so I think, but you know, obviously, she was always very involved in the sciences and always you know pushed us to basically follow what what we wanted to do. But I think, you know, certainly Jeff had been, you know, very successful for, from a young age and, you know, start starting his own business. So I think, you know, just the whole family was like, oh, that, that's the way to go. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I, yeah, for all of you to catch that entrepreneurial bug relatively near the same time, um, that's kind of amazing. Uh, must have been a lot of encouragement to pursue your passions at home. Well, so from age 15, you've got this idea, you're in school, you just want to meet people and you're starting to build a website and a, and a platform to, to help make that happen. Tell me how you got from there to where you are now, which is the uh, Senior Vice President of Marketing at the Meet Group. Yeah. So it's a kind of a, a bit of a winding <laughs> story, but we've always been about meeting new people. Um, so yeah, so I guess kind of walking through the, the initial timeline. So, you know, 2005, we got started, we had our first million members about within nine months of launching, um, you know, everywhere. And, uh, and that's when we opened our first office, uh, New Hope, which is in New Hope, Pennsylvania, which is, uh, you know, not really, not, not a tech capital at all, but uh, a wonderful place to work. And that's where, you know, we, we've been headquartered at ever since. But we started as my yearbook and we operated as my yearbook as, as, as a website from really 2005 to, um, to 2011 was the first major change, and and in that in that change, we actually merged with a public company called Kipasa, and that's kind of brought us that that they made us a public company, and so that was you know 
at the time we had maybe about 30 million in revenue. And so that was for a public company, we're relatively small, but that gave us, you know, great access to capital markets and, you know, it was just great for our, our growth. And around that time, we had, I mean, we had launched our first apps in, in 2010. Um, we had launched the My Yearbook app um, on Android and iPhone about 2010. And at that point we were noticing, you know, that this is the future of the company. And so we basically put, put everything, um, into mobile. And of course, an app that wants you to meet new people, it's very useful to have location services and to have, you know, be able to see, um, if you have a message just by a simple notification versus logging onto a website, which obviously you're going to check significantly less. So it was very clear that that was the, uh, the platform for us. And then in 20, 2012, we rebranded the company as uh, Meet Me. And so that was a big step because, um, so my yearbook started because, you know, we were in high school when it started. That's part of where the name came from. But the company actually was always about meeting new people from like the very, very early days. And so the name didn't really fit what our users did. So that's why we changed the name to Meet Me. At the time, I remember we did some surveys and I think it was like 20% of members or so said they would stop logging in if we changed the name from my yearbook to Meet Me. And we obviously did a lot of research there. But what we, we thought, you know, for potential members, it was just significantly more important that, that, we, that we do the change for our growth. And as we saw, you know, basically all metrics were level or up from, from doing the change. It turns out uh, a lot of people don't actually stop logging in, which, you know, we, we were thankful for, but it was something that, you know, that we wanted to track and, and, and do very, um, and do very thoughtfully. But yes, yeah, so that's how we became uh, Meet Me in 2012. And then they kind of, we, we, had a new shift in the company as, as we became, you know, more mobile apps. And then in, in 2016, we were introduced to the idea of live streaming. And so live streaming had, you know, been very big in, in, in a lot of Asian markets at the time uh, or, in, and still is, but it, it certainly, those markets were certainly much more into live streaming than, than the West for, for a number of years. And, but we had seen it in an app called uh, Momo and we're like, oh, this is actually similar to Meet Me in the sense that it's okay. If you're kind of mixing social dating with live streaming, we, we, the magic of that was, okay, so someone on a social dating app, they're, they're going to be logging in very, very frequently to send messages, look at profiles, but you know, each individual session is relatively short. Whereas pure play live streaming apps, uh, you, you have kind of the, the, the opposite. You have, you know, relatively long sessions, but you, know, but much fewer of them. So what we wanted to, and, and so we saw the magic there was, you know, kind of pairing those two things. So you can, you know, lengthen your time with each individual member by having, you know, even if they join to check out a few live streams, you know, once in a while, you, you can greatly um, increase your engagement with, with, with the member. And it, and it solves some core issues of dating too. Cause like when you're on a dating app and you're not getting messages, you're having a bad experience. And so this gives you a good way to connect with you right away. And so we kind of saw that promise and bet the company on it. And so we didn't just say, okay, well, let's add live streaming to meet me. We were like, no, let's also acquire a bunch of apps following this live streaming strategy and put it in those apps too. And so that's what we did. We acquired Scout in late 2016, uh, Tagged and Lavu in uh, early 2017, and then later Growler in 2019. And, and when we did that, uh, when we acquired the Tagged and Lavu, we ended up also changing our name to the Meet Group because now it was you know confusing being Meet Me when that was just one of our brands. And now we had a number of them. But then, you know, because we built 
the live streaming feature like that, such that we we knew we wanted to put in multiple apps, we realized, you know, why stop at our own apps? And so now we also have a, a video platform as a service business where we provide live streaming creator economy solutions to a number of the largest dating and social applications. Um, so we're in we're in about a dozen apps right now and running that's the service um, you know for different brands as well because you know because of how we built it we were able to do that. And so that's really you know where we are now. So now you know we have the you know B2C side where we're you know focusing on our our members, but we also have the B2B side where we're where we have partners and um, then we uh, we were also acquired um, so we're no longer public but we were acquired in September 2020 by what is now um, Parship Me Group um, in a a $500 million deal. So now kind of that's where the meet group is now. And I had marketing, which is just, you know, the, the, uh, the meet me scout tagged and, and growlers are owned and operated brands as well as obviously working on the, uh, the VPass platform. Oh, but you've been busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, it's pretty apparent. I mean, the number of, I don't know if you thought about it when you were going through it, but there's like little pivots here or there. And then you've got the like aggregation of, of buying other apps and fine tuning, I guess, the markets that you're serving based on the needs that you have. But now you've got this portfolio of assets, apps for the, in the B2C world that kind of span dating and just casual meeting up with folks to the B2B side, which sounds, I mean, it sounds complex, but I guess most of it is around the similar functions and features. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, right now, for sure. Uh, most of our partners, you know, are, are very much in the social space. So it's very similar use cases. So I would say, you know, other verticals are also are also interesting and can, can still benefit. Anything, Basically anything with an existing community of people can, can benefit th- through live streaming. I think that there was a real shift um, w- w- with the pandemic of people kind of on realizing kind of that that power of connection and how important it is to have that place to to, to connect with others um, in in real time no matter what you're doing especially after we've had um, you know so, so much isolation yeah no exactly well and I was gonna I was gonna ask you I mean you kind of took us through the evolution of the company and kind of what it has today and its portfolio but a lot's changed, you know, from, from those early days, I mean, in the world and, and how we interact. And obviously the pandemic was a great accelerator of virtual meeting technology in general, whether it's one-on-one or in groups. How are you guys thinking about like where we are today and where you sit and, and how you see the world kind of going from that point forward, if you will? So I think that, you know, the, the world is going to be just even more focused on, we see people are obviously living their lives, you know, digitally in, 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 in different ways, you know, now, you know, a lot of people are, are working from home and, and that's, that's kind of become the norm to, you might be on, on zoom for most of the day where, you know, whereas, you know, before, you know, maybe zoom meetings or Slack were more of compliments to, to your in-person interactions, you're kind of seeing the reverse. And so I think that, you know, right now where, you know, you get a lot of work, a lot of work done where your focus now is, is on, um, where the in-person is, is almost, um, complimentary. And I, you know, obviously dating, you know, there's always going to be the, the aspect of, of being in person. That's a very important person, uh, side of, uh, of, of, you know, obviously having successful relationships, but when it comes down to it, a lot of, um, interactions, have gotten so used to being digital that just makes sense of that interaction is as well. And it becomes kind of where you're hanging out. But in terms of how the industry has changed, is there's been a huge shift, but there's also been a lot that stayed the same. So basically, you know, you see um, 
live streaming video stuff is, um, has been a thing for, for, for many, many years, but now it, it, it's become, you know, mainstream, especially when, when you look at one to many, but even when you look at you, so how we grew at the time, at the time when we first launched back in 2005, you know, MySpace was basically where we engineered reality to, to get new members. We had, um, user generated quizzes. We took advantage of that and, and kind of built a, uh, built, built a nice, uh, flywheel from that. And now, you know, there are still important viral channels. There's just different ones. It's, it's not, um, it's not MySpace anymore, obviously, but it's TikTok. It's, you have, um, back in about 2010, you know, we had a top 10 uh, Facebook app and that was important for getting getting new members too. And so knowing you you, you know having to know where your users are really hasn't changed. Just what those platforms are and how to reach them has. And so I think the way that we think about it is, is like you know the, the world is is very very different than than it was. But it's it's also the same in a lot of ways. Like our members have always been interested in, in meeting new people, so we're always looking for the way to, to help them do that and looking for those pockets of members to find and, and connect them to. So I, I think that you know the core user journey is is. is is actually still very, very similar. It's just kind of the tactics you use that has changed the most. Well, and, uh, you know, that acquisition, where to find them and how to reach them and how to loop them into your flywheel, so to speak, that makes a lot of sense. And with iOS, what is it, 14 and the changes uh, as it relates to like Facebook and things like that, how has that shifted your ability to acquire or think about like where, how do we do digital marketing and acquisition efforts to try to get people on our platforms. Right. So we did a lot of preparation, obviously, as did everyone else before before the major um, pri- before the major privacy changes took hold. And you know, I think that we we handled that well. But I, I will say, you know, it definitely benefited Apple in the way that you know Apple search ads is has always been an important uh, partner for us. But now it's it's probably even more important, especially on iOS. I, I will say that I did see rates increase on our Android campaigns as well, just because more money went into. Went into different campaigns. But I, I think there's a lot of trial and error in how, how you do things. And so right now, we've always been very experiment-based. And so we'll, we'll have uh, an experiment where we'll say, okay, well, let's let's see what happens if we turn off this platform. Let's see what happens if we increase this one. And when we just look to see what happens. And so, you know, even though the scan tracking isn't what we were used to, there, you know, there, there are still wonderful ways of, of measuring ROI and looking to still see results from it. I think it's just, it just kind of ch- challenges marketers to be, you know, that much more creative and that much more willing to experiment and test and, and see how they can measure. Because even if you you know you don't see the initial change, you should see it just with your general numbers. So sometimes you might do a campaign and it's like, okay, well, I can't, I don't have as much visibility here, but if your organic numbers are increasing for no apparent reason, it might <laughs> at the same exact time you started that, that other campaign, then that you can start making connections. But obviously it becomes very, very important to, um, and it always really has been, to really be measuring results and finding basically finding the KPIs that that need to be that you need to be paying attention to. That's interesting. And many different apps monetize the relationship in many different ways. Like uh, Facebook is almost entirely an ad ad based platform, right? Because it's free to users. But I, I think you guys have an interesting mix of different ways in which you're monetizing. It sounds like you have some advertising, but you're doing other things as well. Tell me about how you're monetizing this opportunity. Yeah. So um, yes, the majority of our revenue um, now c- comes from from user pay, which is um, through us. Uh, that's actually mostly um, kind of a, a tip jar model. And so members will make in-app purchases so that they can send streamers uh, gifts, basically. Um, and so the gifts might be a dragon 
dragon animation that comes on the thing. There could be something small, like a gold star. But basically, it's it's um, it, they send the gifts to the creators and it allows the creators to monetize as well. And so the creators, you know, monetize by based on um, the number of gifts they receive and the, 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 the size of those gifts. And that helps them create better content because they know, you know, what's working. And so it's actually, it's kind of self-reinforcing because usually if you, so say for instance, that you only have a subscription model and we do have subscriptions as well. And we have advertising, like you mentioned, but say you were only limiting yourself to subscription, which is a lot of dating apps do, then you're only going to get whatever the cost of the subscription is per month, whether that's $10, $15, whatever it is. But with, with this model, we monetize each user up to their willingness to pay. And so, you know, that big dragon gift, that's going to cost $400 and members can send, you know, multiple months of those a day or a month. And, you know, so it's going to be, you know, a smaller percentage. So it kind of introduces kind of a, um, and you see this in gaming a lot where you have members that are, that, that yeah, you, you call whales because they are, they monetize at a very, very high rate, but you don't expect your average member to monetize to be spending, you know, $400 in, in a month. But, but you certainly see that as you, um, you certainly start to see that dynamic when you have a, a model that's, you know, based on the in-app purchases that really allow them to, like I said, go up to their full willingness to pay. And so, so in, and, and for some members too, you know, they might not have the disposable income to do that. We also have um, some rewarded videos so, so they can earn, earn credits such that they can send gifts without paying money as well. And so, it, you know, it's important to find that kind of balance to engage. Because a lot of features when you, if you just think about adding a paywall, you know, you're going to hurt engagement. Um, but with this model we found that engagement actually and, and, and quality actually improves because you see that, um, you know, you give your creators a reason to create good content. And so you, you empower your creators. Right. Self-reinforces the community in some respects. Yes, exactly. And and, and it makes it a much stronger community because the creators, they feel valued and they um, feel, you know, a greater connection to their community and, and they give it right back to their members. So they are sorry to their fans. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that you've got all of these various components, if you will, kind of stacked on top of each other in terms of how you can monetize from base level advertising, subscriptions, tip jars, all. And I, wasn't thinking about $400 price points for like gifts, uh, digital gifts, if you will, inside the platform. But that's, I mean, that's to end to your point, like people could give multiple $400 gifts if they want, whatever their willingness and appetite to pay is. I mean, that creates a lot of headroom for you to your point. So kudos. That's amazing. Yes. And it's, it's you know, obviously a very, a new model in terms of like, you know, the, the, this, the dating space, but, you know, something that we've seen working, you know, very well, um, in, in live streaming apps in, in, uh, Asia for, for many years. So it's, it's, you know, it's, so it's, it's a very proven model, just something that still feels newer in the West. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Well, tell me a little bit about your role today as, uh, you know, the head of marketing, what does that entail? Yeah. So I, I run the, um, you know, direct to consumer marketing for, for everything that has to do with meet me scout tag growlers. So that's, you know, that's, PR, this performance marketing, and also just on the B2B side, you know, that's, you know, s- speaking to, to VPass and, uh, and, and kind of evangelizing what the product is, how it works, and also the amazing things that our streamers are doing. Because a lot of, um, so to, for instance, <laughs> one of our, our, our streamers on Tagged, um, her name's Ford Mommy, she's uh, based in London. She 
had been a successful streamer for, for about a year and then, you know, was realizing, so I have this platform, I should be doing something even more with it. And she's created her own, her own beauty line has been featured in British Vogue. Um, and she's, you know, has this, um, it's the streamer heat palette. And it's the eyeshadow palette and like each of the colors and is, is named for things that are kind of are, are callbacks to the tagged app. And so she is very entrepreneurial. And when you start to see creators doing amazing things like that, um, just finding their voice and finding, you know, their passions. And that wasn't the reason she joined Tagged was to, well, well, actually the reason she joined Tagged actually was to stream. But the reason a lot of people joined Tagged, um, you know, it, it's just to meet new people. And that is why they join. And then they end up finding different purposes, different um, different passions for themselves. I think that that's just so exciting. So, you know, part of my role and my favorite part of the role is really just talking to streamers and finding out more about their stories. Yeah. And hi- I guess highlighting those stories or, or trying to, whether they're in the B2C world or in the B2B, make a lot of sense. I mean, it's different sides of the story, I guess, that you're highlighting, but... Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, the, the part of the story is like, oh, well, this member was maybe they, they there's different feel good stories that come out of it, which are which are always nice, of course. But I feel like, you know, even as, as marketers, like I've always done a ton of surveys, a lot of, you know, even qualitative research, you know, spoken members and focus groups, things like that. But I think that when you're hearing and talking to members live, it's just a completely different experience where you really do know your members a lot better than if you than before. So I think just even just in my own like use case of the app, like this is it's a fun way to, to you know to, to spend your time, but really to know what you're building. I think that's something that that our partners enjoy too, because this is something that prior to seeing this feature, you know, your members aren't aren't personal to you, but then as you see this, as you see the stories and you might read a million testimonials of weddings or, or things like that, but seeing them play out live is so much, it's just a, a completely different um, and special experience. We actually have even had weddings live streamed because they met on live and they wanted to, they wanted their fans to be able to be at their wedding as well. <laughs> so just being, just, just seeing that we're, you know, a part of that. So yeah, a, a big part of my role is also just finding those stories and, um, and sharing them. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's amazing. Well, you mentioned performance marketing a little bit ago. What are some of your top tactics or strategies you're trying to do right now? Yeah. So one of our top tactics that that really works for us is using user-generated content as as much as possible. For one thing, it just is so much more authentic, but also because, you know, usually that, that could come in this format of a user sending us a testimonial and 
then we ask, hey, can we use this on Snapchat? And they say, sure. And so, and it just comes across so much more real, so much more authentic when it's in someone else's, someone else's words than, than, you know, if we were to have like a voiceover over some stock video um, or stock images, because even your best stock images are still stock images. And so if you can show people real people that use your service, it, it does so much better. Though, even if you have to use stock images, um, it also is uh, one another tactic that we use is just knowing a lot, a lot about our users. So like, for instance, on Meet Me, we know that the average member is more likely to have a tattoo than the average American. And so when we're doing some of our campaigns, we, we, we've noticed that featuring images of people that have tattoos perform better. <laughs> and so we, we measure that. We, we look to see, okay, well, let's let's see if we can find the types of images that, that do best. And so I would say, you know, refreshing creative is is so important. And for us, user-generated gen- just always does best. And then if you can't do user-generated, then really get to know your user. What do they look like? What do they identify with? And and see how, how you can use that. In general, the channels that have been the main strategy is really finding the channels where your members are. And so we know that, of, of course, all, everyone's going to be on Apple Search and Google UAC because... You know that's that's where you know you're you got to be in Play Store, you got to be in the App Store, and so having a, a smart um, search ads and Google UAC strategy is key, and and those are both incredibly powerful p- platforms, especially for optimizing for downstream events, but also for us, platforms like Snapchat and TikTok are especially important because not only are they social, which our app is, and they skew younger, which our apps do, but they also have members that are interested in content and consuming content. And that's key for live, sh- live streaming. And even like when you think about, okay, well, years ago, the focus used to be on CPI and now the focus, of course, is on downstream events. And so for us, you know, knowing the downstream events that matter, of course, measures matters. Um, and so costs per video daily active user is something that we look at in optimizing because we know that if someone becomes video user within their first day of, of registering, you know, they're significantly more likely to be retained 30 days later. And so we're always looking for how we can move that you know, basically events down funnel such such that we can um, acquire the members that will perform the best. That's really smart. And frankly, I mean, as it drives loyalty on that measure as well. One of the things you mentioned to me, I think in an earlier conversation, which we have not talked at all about on the show, which kind of amazes me given the number of people I've had on, but is uh, app store optimization or ASO. One, tell us what that is and then how does it work and, and what have you found to work? Yeah. So app store optimization is really just optimizing the your app store your app storefront. Um, so if you're thinking about your storefront, like you would in your, if you had a brick and mortar store, it's, it's how you portray yourself in the app stores. And so you have a number of lever, levers that you can pull there. And so one of course is uh, your icon, your screenshots, your description and the keyword. So in on the app, app store, you, you have some um, metadata, metadata keywords. Google's largely pulling just from your description, but any changes you make there can become incredibly important. So for instance, one time, and also um, this is important because so both platforms now allow you to do A-B testing on on the number of these items without, which is great because um, Apple hadn't for for a bit um, and, and now you can. And so that, that's so powerful because now, okay, say you want to change the the main image of someone in the screenshots. Now you can do an A-B test to see which which performs better. You can have custom store listings. So say you want... So say for our users, say we want to have a different um, app store 
custom app store page for people that were, we know are coming in more for a dating use case versus people who are coming in more for a live streaming use case. We can do that. We can have um, tailored store pages. And so like one time we actually changed our app icon and for one of the apps and we got like, it was something ridiculous. It was like a 20% boost for basically the same icon. It, it added like, um, I think it added like some type of holiday flair or something. And now it wasn't, to be clear, you know, it wasn't the icon was 20% better. That was, didn't perform 20 better an A-B test. It probably was like an even trade. But what was important was that it, it probably got into a more curated position with the editorial teams in the stores just by making an app store change. And so that's kind of reason enough to make refreshes to make sure your store pages don't get stale. It kind of refreshes, you know, where you are. It might, you know, someone was tr- scrolling top list before they might be like, oh, have I seen that app? that before and be more likely to click in. But then you have to also focus on search. And so we use an, a number of tools um, to do that. Um, one is uh, what's now called uh, Data AI. It used to be called App Annie. And so they have a uh, an ASO tool and paid search tool. It's, it's useful so you can basically see where you're ranking for share of voice for any given keyword, where competitors are for that keyword, and even rough estimates for like bids, not, not the exact bid, but you know, high, high, medium, low type of thing. And that helps. And, and that is, uh, that is super helpful. And just like, okay, well, I want to rank top for free dating app. How, what are my, ch- you know, what's the difficulty of doing that first of all? And then, then what, what's the opportunity? So if I, if I had that, how important would that be? And so kind of understanding the relationship between the two things, because, you know, it might be that, okay, well, that's exceedingly difficult and no one searches that. So it's not even important, <laughs> which is not the case in, in, in free dating apps, is that, um, but it is the case in, in many, many other terms, you know, they might, but then there's other ones that are very clear, low hanging fruit that you could really, you know, increase uh, your organic downloads by updating. And so it's important to, to do these updates because your organic, so your paid users, first of all, um, on for apps, that's their um, introduction to your brand. And so you want it to be a smooth transition for them. And then for your organic users, and, and the majority of our members are organic. Again, that's their introduction to the brand. You want to make sure that they can find you. These are free users. <laughs> and so you want to make sure that they're searching the app, the app store that, that, that you're going to come up and that you're putting your um, the best portrayal of what they're going to find on your service. And so that that's why it's so important. And, um, and then another important aspect that it's, you don't have as much control of but you know, ratings and reviews obviously matter so much. And so it would be a mistake if you are not prompting your members to, <laughs> to rate and review your app because um, basically the more rating and reviews that you have, the, the better it is for other people who are, are checking out the app. I don't know of anyone that just downloads apps without at least double checking that it doesn't have like one star. <laughs> you you want to, of course, get those numbers up and, and make sure that you have not only a high rating, but then you also have a good quantity, a good volume of ratings coming through because you know that that's what that's what your prospective members are going to be looking for, and that's also you know that's also considered in where you're going to be ranking. How does PR fit in? We talked about storytelling earlier in, in various ways, but I'm curious, like a tactic like that. I've heard other B 2 C or D 2 C type businesses use PR as a kind of hack, if you will, to some degree, because traditional media is really expensive and that provides a, an, app, an opportunity to, to hack your way into greater awareness. How do you use it? So definitely. So, so paid marketing can, can be quite expensive. So, you know, taking advantage of really any viral aspect or, or earned aspect that you can, can really make or break the budget. And especially um, for startups that, that are trying, that are on a very, you know, and, and ourselves as well, have, you know, relatively small budgets compared to maybe some of the other giants in the space. It's important to, to basically take, take advantage of how you can get your story out there and, and evangelize it. And so in early days, I used to cold email and cold tweet uh, journalists just, just 
letting them know about about what what we were what we were doing and and, and, and it's like if I read a story that I was like oh this this journalist is clearly interested in this this topic that that relates to us I try to introduce myself and and enter the and try to enter the story that way and and typically you see that that's as well you know if you can get if, if you can get a, a hit that way um you're going to get more members so like when we first started out I remember we had had a, a lot of media just from like business press and but business press wasn't really what our core demo was using and then I remember I was in Cosmo Girl and the numbers just shot up. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, if we had, you know, pay, I don't know how much that would have cost if we had paid, but it would have been like, we, we would not have been able to afford that type of membership growth. And so, you know, being, if, if you can especially get into the consumer media where your members are looking and that's, that's important. And, but at the time too, business press was also incredibly important because that's going to be more important when you're raising VC funds or if you're B2B, you know, finding partners. And so, you know, I, I think it's important to kind of have, have that credibility because again, this kind of goes back to the authenticity. Like if you're the only one telling your story, then that's not very, you know, that, that, that's not nearly as strong. So getting your members to tell your story for you or having a story that's, that's, that's worth telling and worth sharing in, in media is, is also, um, is also incredibly important, but really taking advantage of anything that isn't paid marketing is, is always good. Or if you have a product that has any viral aspects, you know, figuring out how to make things even more shareable will pay off. And so a lot of that, you know, is going to be, you know, focusing to make sure your product is good before throwing a lot of money into paid marketing. Because if you don't understand uh, where your re- retention should be, then you might need to fix the product before you throw money into the, before you throw, you know, more money into paid ads, because when it comes down to it, like paid marketing is, is very expensive. You want to make sure that you're using it very efficiently and that your prospective members, when they, when they join are finding what they should find. And so if your retention is, is worse than it should be in the, in whatever um, space you're in, then, you know, that, that's what needs to fix, needs to be fixed first, really before you do any other type of marketing activity. No, that's, that's super smart. And something that keep in mind, as you're launching, because I think there probably is this tendency, especially for, for marketers to get ahead of the product, right? <laughs> In some cases, like, I just want to get, I want to get the word out that we're here, we exist, we're around, et cetera. But to your point, like that could all be wasted or even worse, highlight the defects <laughs> that exist. So make sure the product, you do it in stages and, uh, you know, and test as you go, I guess, is the, maybe the, the right advice, but that's, that's very cool. I like how like, you're you're using PR and um, man, if we could just replicate that Cosmo Girl bump every every couple quarters, right? And our last point that I would pull out that you said is don't be afraid to just reach out to a journalist. It's amazing uh, how many folks, uh, even with my niche platform here in podcasting, you know, just ask questions. Um, and eventually that might make uh, its way into either being covered or, or otherwise being, being noticed by the, by the editorial community. Right. Or even if you're just providing background info on a space, just so that even if it's not your, your specific app or your specific business, like it's, it's useful to provide, um, and be a resource just from an industry perspective. And that way, you know, if you're proactive in that way, then, you know, it, it can just help later. Love it. I love it. Well, um, one of the things we like to do is get to know you even more than, <laughs> than what we've talked about so far through the business conversation. And my favorite question to ask people that come on the show is, has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I, not to, not to sound like a broken record, but it's really hard not to go into, you know, founding the company. Well, 
It was a pretty profound experience at an early age too. So Right. It's the majority of my life. And so it's hard to pick anything else because, you know, I've been doing it over half my life. It's how I even met my husband. It's how I met actually one of my best friends was through an early message on my yearbook. And we're still, you know, friends now 17 years later and both have kids and we're you know going through that together. And so, you know, I've, I've every experience I found through this company, I'm just so incredibly grateful for. But, and so those are my personal experience, but also just the team, the amazing team that I've worked with. You know, I feel like all the people I've worked with has really sculpted who I am as a person. And so this experience of um, starting the company, there were, you know, a bunch of things that, that come from that. You, know, you certainly don't have a normal high school or college experience or even, you know, uh, probably any normal experiences following that. But the, and so all of that kind of, you know, sculpts who I am, but the amazing people that I've had, you know, that I've had to work, that I've had the, you know, privilege to work with are just so incredibly talented. And so being surrounded by so many smart people has just, you know, made me want to always keep trying harder and keep trying um, harder to make something wonderful for our members too. Cause now I have this, uh, the experience of being able to, you know, speak with our members and see what they're up to and kind of in a way that I never used to be able to. And so I kind of want, I want all of the wonderful things for them. And so I I love, and so really that that's starting the company and just seeing where it has led me has been, you know, life-defining. It's amazing. What advice would you give your younger 15 year old self if you're starting all over again? So I guess there's kind of two pieces. So one is, you know, seeking out advice. Advice isn't always easy to come by. People, which if you're on the wrong, if you're on the other end of it, sometimes you might feel like you have too many, but honestly, I feel like most people don't give advice. And so I, I think it's important where if you see someone that you're like, Hey, how are you doing this? And you ask for advice. So many people are so helpful and will, and will provide it. I don't think that there's any reason to feel like, Oh, I have to figure this out myself. And I think that, you know, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's like, there's sometimes like the focus to be, Oh, let me figure out exactly how to do this myself. But why reinvent the wheel? If you, if you can seek out advice from, from someone who's, who's been in your shoes before. And so that, that's a huge part of it. And then also I like saying, you know, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not making decisions because there's always going to be, you know, some measure of uncertainty in any decision you make. And so it's important to follow and collect all the information for what you do know and know everything possible that you can know. And then kind of from there, you you need to make choices. And there's still going to be things that you wish you knew that you have no way of knowing. And it's important to figure out what the things are that you have no way of knowing and need to just make a decision on so that you can keep moving forward and the things that aren't. Um, so it's just, it's important to keep going. And then obviously, you know, making sure that you have, you know, exit options. So if you're, you needed to make a decision about something, but, you know, do it as an experiment and see what the results are. And that can make you, you know, that can help you inform the, inform the decision, of course. But even still, there's going to be some cases where you're never going to know what the right decision is, but you still have to make that decision in those times of uncertainty. and. You just kind of have to do it and follow your gut after after a while. Once you already figure out, you know, everything you already can know about it, uncertainty is okay. Right. It's okay to make that decision. Is there a topic that either you believe marketers need to be learning more about right now or you're trying to learn more about yourself? Yeah. So I, I, I was listening to... Um, the, uh, you spoke with Don McGuire Qualcomm recently. I was just in that, and you mentioned you know specifically following the macro trends. I definitely want to echo that and say you know give that another mention because you know as marketers we need to know what could be the next big trend in viral channel and just being up on every viral cha- or every um, you know macro trend and being at least at least familiar. If you know you might not be able to be deep on everything, but being at least familiar will be 
just important in not only how you do your own job, but also how, how you relate to your potential audience. And then my, my second piece is that I think, you know, marketers need to kind of be learning about is, is uh, being, pretend your marketing budget was zero, <laughs> zero dollars. How would you be doing things differently? And so I think, you know, being very heavily involved with, with product and realizing, you know, marketing is not just external marketing. Um, you know, your relationship with the member doesn't end when they sign up. And so thinking, how can you increase retention? How can you um, put in viral loops within your own product that could be even more important than this on the paid channels. I feel like, you know, a lot of the focus ends up going to a lot of paid channels, but I think it's important to kind of think, think scrappy and think what should you be learning about if you didn't have, say, if you're a big brand, so if you didn't have a big budget, like what, what would you be spending time on? And a lot of that is, is spending time on product and really learning about those members and, 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 um, and, and figuring out more about that journey and how, how you can increase the time with that member. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, your biggest asset really is still the product, like what you're actually delivering. <laughs> and it would be, to your point, I, we probably do lose sight of that, that that's an opportunity to reinforce the relationship with the customer, but also um, how can that experience actually help you market the product itself? So that's, that's smart. Well, two two more questions for you. Uh, on a personal note, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Yeah. So um, Oasis uh, Consortium actually recently uh, this year released um, their user safety standards. It's consumer safety standards basically for, for Web Web 3. It's basically a first of its kind blueprint for how platforms should be creating a safer space for their members. And you know, safety has been part of the Me Group's DNA since we started. Uh, now we have over 500 human moderators as well as we use you know, sophisticated AI to moderate our platforms. You know, th- there's a lot of content that we have. We have over 200,000 hours of live streaming content every day. Over a billion minutes of live streaming content are spent in video per month. So it's important to ha- have that piece. But what's amazing about what Oasis is doing is really evangelizing, you know, how safety should should be a priority priority in organizations. And so a lot of times when you think of trust and safety at organizations, you see that it's kind of siloed off. And what you really want is it to be cross-functional. And so for instance, in our safety meetings, you know, not only does just Jeff, you know, who's our, our CEO, he, he's there, our general counsel's there, our SVP of product, I'm there from, from marketing. Like it's important to have everyone involved and be aware of, you know, trust and safety so that we can bring the industry forward. And so that's, you know, something that I've been working on too. We, we, um, we now publish a transparency report on our safety practices. We've tried to be very vocal about what we're doing because for instance, when it comes down to something like, you know, we have a minute response, uh, less than a minute response time between, you know, when a piece of content is reported before we have a, a paid moderator looking at it, that's the best in, in, in the live streaming industry that, that we know of. However, yeah, you know, no one really publishes those, those, those metrics. So it becomes harder to know. And so in order to create a, um, you know, safer web three for everyone, I think, you know, what companies really need to be doing, um, is basically if they can pledge the Oasis user safety standards, that's, that's great. That way we can have more, um, industry transparency and, and build, um, a better internet for all. I like that a lot. And especially it's cool that, that you're so focused on it, given your position in the market too. Um, and, and what your, what your platform does, uh, I applaud your efforts for that. Thank you for that. Um, well, last question on the marketing front. Uh, what do you feel like is either the largest, largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? So Apple really mixed things up. So I'm going to say that's kind of like a nice opportunity and threat because, well, it's not really a threat and that, you know, things change, you, you move on, but the opportunity is okay. Well now, now things are different. So you have to think about it just 
basically allows for the opportunity to think of things differently. And so I wouldn't, you know, I would expect Google to do something similar and marketers privacy. Everyone has has the right to privacy is, is incredibly important. And so really it just, it becomes an opportunity for how, how basically you change your strategies. Now I, I will say in, in the short term, you're, you know, you're, you're going to notice that your existing campaigns are different, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're worse. You just have to, um, you know, it's it just, it's just a new, a, a new thing to learn. So I think that that's kind of exciting. I expect to see um, more, more changes in, in that, in that area. Cause I think it is an important area that is welcome in a lot of ways, but of course, um, you know, despite lots of preparation, of course, we're still, we're, we're still talking about it. And so I, I think that it's just going to continue continue to evolve. And so if you can find, you know, so, so, but, but there's a huge opportunity now and well, now not only in ad tech, but also just in just um, figuring out how to do things with this kind of paradigm shift. Yeah. Well, and it, I think it forces the creativity to come back out, right? And marketing, you know, where we might have knew kind of how the math would work if I pumped X amount in. <laughs> and now the math changes, right? So we have to figure out the new formula for being able to grow or acquire users at the same rate. And I, I do think, I think creativity plays a big role in that. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, we got to talk to about a number of topics that we haven't covered before. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 